Come on, somebody make some noise like you're glad to be the church today. Come on. Come on, from your living room, from your jail cell, from your front porch, make some noise like you're glad to be the church today. Come on. Well, we want to welcome everybody. If you're watching from home, welcome. If you're one of the more than half a million men and women behind bars who now have access to this service every single week, welcome to you. If you're watching on ABC6, welcome to you. Come on, somebody. Welcome to the staff who are in the house right now. Come on, make some noise if you're in the house right now. Welcome to you who are joining us online. This is week four of a six-week study that we're calling Judges and Kings. And um, I just want to publicly thank a few people. I want to say thank you to um, the amazing Sam Collier who brought the house down just a few weeks ago. Come on. How many of you are grateful for friends of the house like Sam? Just such a good friend, an amazing uh, teacher and, and pastor. And then Pastor Gerald Murphy. Come on, who's grateful for Pastor Gerald Murphy? One of our pastors at the Dream Center and just a, a dear friend. I thought Pastor Gerald did an incredible job last week as my wife Katie and I were able to get away just for a, a bit of time. We left our kids at home and we spent nine nights. Y'all understand we're not counting the days, we're counting the nights. Nine nights without our kids in Montana. And I brought just a few pictures to show you just so you can see the, 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 the view that we had to deal with for nine nights. Come on, somebody. How many of you are grateful that God just is an incredible, creative, come on, inspiring, good God? I know these are my pictures, but these are for you too. God is an incredible creator. He's an incredible, good God. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for a church that gives us the ability to get away every once in a while. So thank you for being such an incredible church. I want to continue our study today of Judges and Kings, and I'm going to introduce you to somebody that you might not be quite as familiar with as some of the other characters that we're talking about in this series, men like Gideon and Samson, who are both judges, kings of Israel like David, Saul, and Solomon. Matter of fact, I'm not going to introduce you to a man at all today. I'm introducing you to a woman. Come on, where are the women at in the house? Come on, make some noise. Where are the women at? I'm going to introduce to you a woman who is most certainly one of the most talented, multifaceted, gifted, incredible leaders in all the Bible. Her name is Deborah. How many of you know the story of Deborah? It's, it's a short story, but it is an incredible story. Deborah ruled Israel as a judge, as the judge over Israel for 40 years. Deborah led all the people of Israel as judge, which judge, by the way, is just one of her many roles, one of her many titles that she wore quite well. And to understand that the context of Deborah's calling, I, I want you to understand the condition of the people, the nation, as she began to lead. As we pick up in Judges chapter 4, we begin to hear the same refrain we hear over and over throughout this book, the entire period of Judges that spanned about 350 years. Between the time of Joshua and the age of the kings, when Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, 
The Bible says that Israel honored God. They, they remembered the Lord and they honored God throughout the lifetime of the generation of Joshua. And then very shortly thereafter, the generation of Joshua dies, the people begin to adopt the practices of the surrounding culture. They adapt to the surrounding culture. They begin to drift away from God. Eventually they rebel against God. And what you see over and over and over again throughout the entire period of the judges is God's people turning away from God. And then God allowing his people to suffer at the hands of an oppressor to get their attention. And then God's people crying out to the Lord for deliverance and in desperation. And then God raising up a judge to lead them and to deliver them. This is the cycle we introduced you to week one. That's repeated all throughout this span of history. And in Judges chapter four, it's more of the same. It says, after Ehud, the judge died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the people for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. I just think it's worth asking the question, how many times does God have to come through for a people who have continuously rebelled and turned their back on him? How many times does God have to respond to a people who have continually abandoned him? How many know the answer is not ever? Not one time, not two times, not any times does God have to. And yet here's what we know about God and here's what makes God God and God good. That is when the people of God humble themselves and turn from their sin and begin to seek the face of God, God hears, God cares, and God responds with kindness and with mercy and with grace every time. And so it says that they cried out to the Lord for help. Here's where we're introduced to Deborah. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidog, <laughs> Lapidoth, was judge over Israel at that time. Three titles were given of Deborah, just three of the many that she wears prophetess wife and judge one more verse judges chapter 5 verse 7 i believe the lord's going to speak to you today in a powerful way the condition of the people is they have been living cruelly oppressed for 20 years They've been despondent, they've been overwhelmed, they're overburdened, and they're anxious. Kind of sounds like the year 2020. Come on, somebody. And if you can imagine the year 2020 lasting for 20 years, and you multiply the, 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 the pain and the anxiety and the issues of 2020, and you, you multiply that by like 120, you might be getting close to the oppression and the despondency the people of God had been dealing with. 
They're despondent and they're beat down. They're oppressed and they're overwhelmed and they've all but given up. And here's the verse, Judges chapter five, verse seven. It's spoken by Deborah herself. She says, village life ceased. It means that the people were so beaten down, they just stopped living. Come on, somebody. I'm so depressed, I can't even go on with my day. There's so much anxiety. It's binding me. I'm just going to stay stuck in my home. I can't, I can't take another step forward. She said, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I. Come on, say until I. Come on, say it again. Until I. Deborah arose. Lord, would you speak to us today by the powerful authority of your word? And God made the conviction and the courage and the anointing of Deborah arise again within your church, in this city, in this nation, in the world. Lord, people are desperate for you. People are tired of being tired and afraid. There is a despondency in this nation, a sickness that is physical and emotional and spiritual. Lord, so many people are hurting and in need of you. So many are suffering and, and discouraged. May there arise today a Deborah anointing in your church and in this land, a Deborah resolve, a Deborah faith, a Deborah fearlessness, and a Deborah strength. As men and women alike who've been called by your name would arise and take our place and lead a lost and broken, desperate, hurting people back to you. It is in Jesus' name, name above every name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, make some noise one more time for Jesus from your home, from wherever you are. I love this verse. Judges chapter 5, verse 7, village life ceased. People were so despondent they couldn't carry on anymore. It ceased in all of Israel until I, Deborah, arose. The conditions are so deplorable. People have become so despondent. When the conditions are so bitter, and oppressive, and when a people become so despondent and discouraged, what is the answer? What's the answer? The answer is you and me. The answer is his church. Village life ceased until I, Deborah, arose. See, I believe God is calling his people, the church, in this moment to arise, to say, not on our watch. Enough is enough. We will not stand by while an entire generation is swept away. We will not add to the dysfunction and the chaos that surrounds us. We will not add to the confusion that has infiltrated and taken hold of an entire generation. We will not be deceived, but we will lead in Jesus' name. 
We will lead people to Jesus. We will point people to Jesus. We will shine bright the light that is Jesus. We will declare boldly the name of Jesus. We will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. We will speak loudly and declare boldly and confidently the word of Jesus. And we will not be despondent and we will not be silenced and we will not live in fear. Deborah arose to lead a people out of bondage and into freedom. And I believe the same can be said of the opportunity that is before the church. It is time for we, the church, to do the same. Do you know that God calls the most unlikely and ordinary people to do the most unlikely and extraordinary work? Do you know that? Just like Deborah Though she was a prophet, though she was a judge, though she was a military strategist, a resolute leader, an encourager, worshiper, intercessor, the list goes on and on. There was very much about this godly woman that was quite ordinary. Do you know that God has called you? Do you know that God doesn't need good people to do good work? And do you know how good a news that is, church? Because some of you, you're sitting inside a prison cell right now, and you're wondering, has God done given up on me? And he has not. He will not. Come on, somebody. He's not given up on you. He's not done with you. And he can still use you if you want him to. Some of you, you're sitting at home, and only you know what you did last summer, and it wasn't very good. And only you know the depravity that's in your own heart. And maybe you've wondered in your own heart, have I gone too far? Have I done too much? Have I sinned too greatly? Am I, am I now disqualified from ever being used by God again? God has not given up on you. He's not in the business of giving up on anybody. He doesn't need good people to do good work. Jesus in Mark 10, he said this, nobody's good, only God alone is good. That's good news, church. God doesn't require good people to do good work. God's not giving up on you, and he's still got work for you to do. How many of you know the church has done made a mess of things at times? And, and, and we can be quite ashamed of, of so much of the history of the church when we've gotten it wrong, when we've not led well, when we've done more harm than good at times throughout our history. But how many of you know Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, and I'm not even going to let church people stop the church from doing what I've called the church to do. From being who I've called the church to be. That's good news. I want us to consider five aspects of Deborah's leadership, five roles that Deborah embraced. And I, I hope that you can see yourself in each of these roles. And I want to begin with Deborah the judge. Deborah the judge. A judge was the ruler over all the people of Israel. The Bible says in Judges chapter 4, verse 5, that Deborah held court under the palm of Deborah. It was obviously a palm tree that was named after her between the towns of Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes settled. Now, a, a settler of disputes is only part of what a judge did, but it was an important part. And there's a lot to see just in this verse. I want you to first notice, number one, that the people came to her. The people sought out Deborah. 
You know, there's something so refreshing about a person who's not pretentious at all. She's not forcing herself on anybody. She simply made herself available to everybody to be used by God anytime, anywhere. There is a difference between one who makes himself, herself available and one who asserts herself constantly. One who asserts himself has a point to prove on Twitter. At which time Twitter will then ban you. Come on, somebody. One who asserts himself is always looking for a fight to win. Always wants to be proved right. One who asserts himself will give his opinion even when his opinion isn't being asked for. There's a lot of that going on in the world today. One who asserts himself generally has a low regard for others and a very high view of himself. Not so with Deborah. The people came to her. That tells us a lot about this incredible woman. And she held court, not in a high and lofty palace, but under a palm tree. She was relatable. She was quite ordinary. There was something attractive about her. People were naturally drawn to her. She had a calming and reassuring presence. And I think one of the reasons people were so attracted to her is that she was so confident in her calling. And people who are confident in their calling have nothing to prove. Give me a palm tree or put me in a palace. It doesn't really matter. I'm confident in my calling. My position is not contingent upon what people think of me. My position is secure because I know the one who's positioned me. A person who's confident in her calling is not only confident in her calling, but in the one who's called her. And I think what's most incredibly profound about the office she held, the the location of the poem of Deborah was, it's between two towns, the town of Ramah and the town of Bethel. And you might say, what's it matter what towns it's between? Well, the word Ramah means place of idolatry. The word Bethel means house of God. So literally, symbolically, and literally, she is holding court between the place of idolatry where so many people have fallen and the house of God as judge. Which means that in the the midst of an entire generation that had lost its way, Deborah recognized as judge, it's not either or. It's not either only I call out the sin of this generation because that's what judgmental people do. They only ever point out the faults of others. But it's also not only ever offer grace without truth. That's what the world does. Anything goes, follow your heart. All truth is subjective. You decide whatever is right for you. Deborah understands as judge between the place of idolatry and the house of God, it's actually both grace and truth. She was one who exercised sound judgment while at the same time she administered grace. That's what made her so attractive. How many of you know this generation is desperate for truth? And this generation is desperate for grace. Not a cheap substitute for grace, but the grace of God. Amen? Grace. 
It's showing people Jesus and how through Jesus he can help them overcome their faults and their failure, their sin, their insecurity. It's, it's, it's not get right then come to Jesus or, or come to Jesus, but you don't ever have to get right. It's, it's come to Jesus and let Jesus fix you up and make you right. It's both. And Deborah was a brilliant judge. She was also a prophetess, a prophet. And just to demystify this term, a prophet is one who is careful to voice the will of God and not her own, the the word of God and not her own. A prophet is one who calls people to repentance. This is what idolatry looks like. This is what God looks like. I'm, I'm calling you out of idolatry and toward the Lord. A prophet is one who confronts sin. Yet I believe what what makes a a prophet so absolutely incredible is when she speaks not only to the problem of sin, but when she at the same time calls out the potential for righteousness that God has placed inside of every single one of us. You see, we the church, we have the the obligation to call sin what it is, sin, but at the same time, we must prophetically declare the potential of righteousness that God has placed within this current generation. We must not only bemoan the circumstance of our day, but we must speak prophetically to the plan of God, the the purpose of God, the the heart of God, the intention of God for every single one of us. We must be a, a, a people who not only point out the sin that exists in the world, but but who points people to the Savior that has overcome all sin. You see, just like we're suffering today, Israel, we're suffering because of sin. That's what sin does. Sin produces suffering. Sin invites oppression. Sin destroys everything that it touches. And it says in verse 6 that as the people were suffering, Deborah, as prophet and judge, calls on one of the leaders of Israel's army to remind him not only of the problem of oppression, but of their position as children of God. In Judges chapter 4, verse 6, it says she sent for Barak, son of Abinam, from Kadesh and Neptali, and she said to him, listen, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. You can can understand that we are oppressed. We can all see what the enemy is doing and has done. We we know that we've got to take back our freedom in this moment. But I want you to know it's not me who calls you. It is not I who calls you. But it is God who calls you. It is God who commands you. It is he that has positioned you. And I don't want you simply, Barack, to be confident in your calling as commander, as general, or as judge. Listen, it's not my army. It's not your army. It's God's. And I want you to be confident, not because of your calling, but because of who's called you. I want you to be confident that God has commanded you. God has positioned you. God has anointed you. God has appointed you. God has gifted and graced you. 
And it is God who goes before you in every battle. And it is God who stands with you through every storm. And so I want you right now in this moment, she's speaking to this leader of the army of Israel. Remember not what you've done to get here, but remember whose you are and remember who you belong to. Church, I've got to, at times, as I try to navigate this thing called life, I've got to, at times, remind myself, especially when I fall short, and I fall short just like you fall short. I've got to remind myself not to be confident only in my calling because sometimes I don't stand up to the full weight and measure of my calling. Sometimes I fall quite short of the full weight and measure of my calling as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as a man. And I've got to remind myself when I falter and when I fail, just like you do, that God is bigger than my failing. God's not in the business of giving up on anybody. My confidence is not in my performance. My confidence in is, is in God who's called me. My confidence is in God who can take every misstep and mistake of my life and still sometimes make it work in his grand master plan of redemption. I've got to remind myself of whose I am. And it's time that we, the church, be reminded of whose we are, who it is we belong to, and that the plans of man will always fall short, but the plan of God will always prevail. She was a judge and she was a prophet. She was also a wife. And honestly, we don't know much about her family life, but we do know anybody who's, who's married knows that in order for a marriage to work, you've got to work that marriage. Come on, somebody. We're the married people that you, you know this. It's hard work. And I'm sure at times she, she, she was tempted to bring her military strategic mind into that marriage. Marriage doesn't age like fine wine. You can't just put it in a room and, and, and walk away from it for years and expect it to be better a few years from the day you set it there from where it is today. It ages more like a piece of fish you left out on your counter all weekend and the, the windows are open and the sun's hitting it and it starts to rot and it starts to break down and it starts to stink. You got to work your marriage to make your marriage work. And understand, for, for Deborah to have led successfully for 40 years the people of Israel, here's what we know about Deborah. Her home had to have been strong. You see, every great leader knows how to lead and how to be led. And Deborah certainly understood that. When you understand marriage, the way God designed marriage to work, there's a role for both husband and wife. And the husband is the head of the home. And I know that sounds old-fashioned, but listen, church, our arrogance does not misplace or change the design of God for anything. So we know in, in this culture, especially in a culture where very few women were ever given opportunity to lead, Deborah understood how to lead and, and how to be led. Every great leader knows how and when to submit. It is clear that Deborah led with confidence and conviction as to her calling, while at the same time with a consciousness and a consideration of her culture. She understood leadership. 
And how much self-discipline and incredibly hard work must that have taken for Deborah, as strong a woman as Deborah was. She was a worshiper. She was a worshiper. She was as comfortable leading men and women into worship as she was leading men and women into war. I want you to think about that. She was as comfortable leading others into worship as she was leading others into war. Matter of fact, there is a battle in Deborah's story. We don't have time to get into all the battle. Most people only preach about the battle. We're not preaching on it hardly at all, but she does lead the people into battle. She leads the people into victory. And on the day of victory, hear the word of the Lord, on that day that God subdued the Canaanite king before the Israelites and the hand of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him on that day. Not the next day, not a few weeks from that day, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinam, sang this song. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. Come on, somebody. I will sing and make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. I will praise the Lord. <laughs> Worship was like the automatic response to victory. Matter of fact, the entire fifth chapter of this book is a chapter of praise and worship. She's not ashamed of her love for God. Worship was the source of her strength. Not just some of it, all of it. Worship. Worship prepared her for war. Worship readied her for what was to come. And I know the, the battle, if you read this, the battle's in chapter 4. Worship is in chapter 5. And so you might say, well, how does worship prepare her? Here's how I know worship prepared her. And here's how I can see that worship was a regular part of her life. Because in verse 14, chapter 4, she did not hesitate to acknowledge God as they headed into the battle. She said, for this day that the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. This is the day that the Lord has delivered this people from the hand of our oppressor. The battle hadn't been fought yet, but she makes a prophetic declaration. He's not delivered us yet, but she had a revelation from God. And church, listen to me. You don't get a revelation from God if you've not spent time with him, worshiping him in his word, walking with him. She had a revelation from God because worship was a part of her everyday life. She did not hesitate to acknowledge him as she headed into the battle. She did not hesitate when the battle was over. Instead of taking credit like many of us want to at time of victory, she begins to worship God. The entire fifth chapter is all worship to the Lord. And I wonder for you today, what might your fifth chapter look like? When the Lord has delivered you, healed you, set you free. When God has come through for you and when God has shown favor upon you and God's been gracious to you, what will your response be? Will you worship him? 
When you're standing in victory, will you worship him? Because that's what Deborah did. Now let me give you one more role, one more title. This isn't given to her. It's actually the only title, the only role that Deborah gives herself. And it's in Judges chapter 5, verse 7. I've already read the first part of this verse. But the title she gives herself is found at the end of this verse. She said, village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a what? Say it. A mother. Say it again. A mother in Israel. Deborah the mother. You know what's interesting about this particular title that nobody gives her, she gives it to herself, is there is no genealogy, there is no evidence that Deborah ever bore a child of her own. There's no evidence that she ever adopted a child of her own. And yet mother is the title she chose to give herself. This incredible prophet, this incredible judge, this incredible leader. Now as I got to thinking about the heart of a mother, I need to say this about my mom, whose name, by the way, is Deborah. When I think about my mom, I, I, I know this. I would not be where I am today without the nurturing heart of my mother, the, the prayerful heart of my mother. I'm married to a very strong and godly woman, just like Deborah, multifaceted, multi-gifted, and I know I would not be, our family would not be, this church would not be where we are today. If not for the woman that I married, Katie, I love you. You're strong. We've got two incredible daughters, and I hope they become just like their mom. I hope they grow up to be just like you, strong, godly, fearless, courageous. A mother's heart. Deborah had no children of her own. And yet she chose to nurture an entire generation. She mothered an entire generation. You can have a Deborah anointing and not have any children of your own. You can nurture a generation. You can impact a generation without any children of your own. But you must have a mother's heart. You've got to have a mother's heart. And how we need a mother's heart in the world today. And what is a mother's heart? A mother's heart is the heart of God. It is a godly heart. A mother's heart. And I need you to lean in right now. I need you to pay attention right now because I'm going to say some things about a mother's heart at the risk of offending a whole lot of people right now. But may the Lord judge me ever so severely and take this pulpit from me if I ever choose to preach a gospel that is more popular than right. We need a mother's heart in this nation. I believe so much of what's wrong and what's destroying our nation today is we lack a mother's nurturing spirit 
And if I can just rewind for you for one moment, God doesn't need good people to do good work and and we've all sinned and we've all fallen short and I, I intend not to point out one person's sin and say it's greater than another because there is no sin so great that God can't forgive at the moment you confess your sin to him. He looks upon you not with a, a lens of judgment or through a lens of judgment but through a lens of grace. He's a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. Nobody's fallen so far down that he can't pick you back up again. But I also must speak truth to you today. A mother by nature of God is one who nurtures life, nurtures potential, nurtures creativity. She prophetically calls out the God-placed potential in others. She is one who cultivates life. She does not destroy life. She cherishes life. She celebrates life. Deborah was mother to an entire nation. Yet we live in a nation where mothers choose and even celebrate the right to choose to discard their own children before ever they're born. I want you to think about that. Rather than to birth, nurture, and mother a child to life, we destroy our children while still in the womb with God-laden potential inside of them. I want you to hear me because if you've had an abortion, it is not an unforgivable sin. I just told you what God will do with your sin. He'll forgive you. He'll redeem you. He'll set you free. There are no perfect people in the world. We've all fallen short. We must hear the word of the Lord today. We must not call evil good and good evil. We must acknowledge the sin and the stain of abortion in this land. A perversion of God's intention for mother and child, an egregious and vile sin that has stained this land with innocent blood, and we must repent of the sin of abortion. And it's not a political issue, it's a biblical issue, it's a God issue. I want you to know, church, we might be politically divided on this issue, but we must not be divided in the church of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't stand and we don't speak for those who can't stand and speak for themselves, who will? And we all have the right to choose. That does not mean that everything we choose will be right. We all have the right to choose, honor God or discard God. Honor God and embrace the heart of God or deny the heart of God. But how it must absolutely break the heart of God for a generation to choose to end the life of the unborn we bear. Rather than to nurture that God-ordained, God-breathed child to life and the full potential that God has placed inside. An entire generation that has been lost, we must not be deceived. 
Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. The devil comes, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not a trending truth that sets you free. It's the gospel truth. It's the unchanging truth of the word of God. The gospel that has been the gospel, that is the gospel, that will always be the gospel. It's a gospel you can deny. It's a gospel you can criticize. It's a gospel people can ban if you want to, but it's still the gospel. The truth will set you free. Not a truth the itching ears want to hear or long to hear the truth of the word of God. The truth that says before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The truth that says you were never just a clump of cells before you were formed in the womb. You were known by God. You were loved by God. You were set apart by God. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Deborah chose a mother's heart. A woman who had no children of her own chose to nurture an entire generation. She lifted up a broken down and desperate people. She prophetically called out and called forth the potential in others. She made no special place for herself. Instead, she made herself readily available for God to use. She spoke truth to a degenerate people with both conviction and care. And what she said to them, I will say to you, before you were born and before even you were formed, God knew you and he called you and he set you apart. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. And even though you've made a mess of you and I've made a mess of me, God's not giving up on you. There are no perfect people and he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for a people who will put their faith and trust in him. You are valuable. You have intrinsic God-given worth. Don't let anybody look down on you. And even if everybody looks down on you, God does not look down on you. With judgment, he looks down on you with grace. And he wants nothing more than to pour out love upon you and mercy upon you and forgiveness upon you if you would simply call upon his name. Jesus went to a cross for you and for me to pay for the sin that we've all chosen to commit so that any moment and in this moment that anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus, that we would be forgiven and saved, set free. He went to the cross, he died for you. He went to the grave, was raised from death to life for you so that you could have an opportunity to live again, to have hope again. So I'm gonna ask you right now, wherever you are, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be filled with the grace and mercy and life of Jesus Christ, you, you want your past to be your past, listen, he, he will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He won't remind you of it. He won't hold it over your head. You want to be forgiven. You want to be set free. You want your sin to be covered by the shed blood of Jesus. Right now, say, Jesus, I need you. 
Jesus, I trust you. Come on. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out. I commit my life to you. I give my whole heart to you. My past is past, but here and now, I declare that I am yours. I'm taking you at your word right now, Lord. I am called. Come on. I am anointed. I've been set apart by God, for God, to make a difference in this world. I will arise as Deborah arose to make a difference in my generation. I will be used by you. I will trust you day by day, step by step, moment by moment, in Jesus' name. Come on. Everybody said, amen. Come on, is God good? Come on, do you love him? Come on, would you, would you begin to worship him right now? Come on, worship him right now, in Jesus' name.